All right. Turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 8, and while you're turning there, I've got a letter that uh, Brother Dr. Professor Judge Keith Sherlin uh, wanted me to read just as a thank you to what we had done last week in recognizing him uh, and his uh, major accomplishment uh, graduating uh, from NWU. Uh, to the pastors in the Well Church, thank you for the kind gift last Sunday with the many sign names and special words of kindness on it. I placed it on my wall in my house to remind me of the wonderful people here at the Well. I am away preaching today in another church, but I did not want to miss saying how much that warmed my heart. It is a divine joy to partner with the Well and the leaders here for the gospel. We are so blessed to be in a godly, gospel-centered, conservative, Bible-believing, Christ-like, and compassionate church. It has been an honor to be a part of this family from 2012 onward, and I am thankful for the work of the Lord here at the well and that I get to be a small part of that. What the Lord has graciously given to me, I desire to share uh, that with as many as I possibly can, not only around the world, but especially right here with my beloved home fellowship and region. I am blessed beyond measure to share in a part of this wonderful divine journey with each of you, a pilgrimage we believers walk to glory in Christ. Having a home church like the well encourages my soul and gives me great strength for service. And I cannot thank you all enough for being prayer partners, not only in my educational endeavors, but for the gospel work of Christian community. Also, thank you, Pastor Brandon, for your most kind and gracious words with the gifts. It is an honor and blessing to grow in the grace of the Lord by you and with you. What a blessing we have in you and the other leaders at the well. The goodness of the Lord overflows here. I love you all. Sincerely, Keith Sherlin. So praise the Lord for Brother Keith. He is an exceptional um, blessing in addition to our uh, well family and our well leadership team. And uh, we love him and are very thankful for him. All right, Hebrews chapter 8. If you would stand to your feet for the reading and the hearing of God's word. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 13. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you now, God, asking that you would be with us in a special kind of way. As the word of God goes forth in this, um, this weak man, this, uh, this, 
the sinner. Lord Jesus, I pray that the Spirit would guard every word, would guard every thought, and would be uh, at the center of this message that it would glorify you, and that's all uh, that it would do. It would glorify you, that you would be front and center, Jesus, and that uh, uh, your people uh, would be shaped, molded, grown, pushed, and that they would be more like you. And for those who are here that don't know you, I pray, God, that the gospel would penetrate their hard hearts, that this seed would be planted, that the tree of life would grow, and that you would be made known to all the world through your word that goes forth. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Hebrews chapter 8, we've already looked at verses 1 through uh, 7, and uh, we spent two weeks talking about those seven verses and distinguishing Jesus Christ as the last high priest. And here we're going to transition from the, the idea of or the teaching of it's really the summing up of what came before chapter 8. As he says in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Now the point in what we're saying is this. And he goes on to break down the difference between the mediatory work in the old covenant of the the priest to the new covenant work of the final, if you'll remember, the pinnacle point priest, Jesus Christ, who is the last and final high priest who did what all of the other high priests before him only did shadowed they only pointed to they only uh, they were only an example of what would come pointing to who Jesus would be and we talked about all of these different aspects of Jesus uh, Christ high priestly role and the fact that he is far superior to every other high priest and that he mediates a better covenant so not only is he a better high priest but the covenant that he mediates is better And we talked about and drew out the the distinctions and the language that shows us that the Old Covenant is not the same as the New Covenant. It's not the New Covenant. The New Covenant is not the Old Covenant repackaged. It's not the Old Covenant under a new administration. It's not the Old Covenant with a few slight changes. No, it is radically different than the Old Covenant as it is built on better promises, it has a better mediator, it has better extenuating results, and it has a, 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 more, a more eternal significant impact on believers, on the people of God. And we have pointed out several times, this is the last thing that I'll say, is that we are not saying that the old covenant was sinful or that it was imperfect as far as the way it was given and what it was given for. Rather, it was perfect at what it was given for. It was given to demonstrate the imperfections of those who tried to keep and meet the Old Covenant requirements. The Old Covenant was a conditional covenant. It was a conditional covenant in which those who were covenanted together with God had to meet certain conditions in order to be considered and found and counted as the people of God. And we all know that no one can meet the conditions that are required in order to have relationship with God except one. His name is Jesus. 
Therefore, Jesus Christ is the only one who has fulfilled and met all of the conditions, requirements, and stipulations of the Old Covenant in order to bring about the sure promises of the Old Covenant. Even going further, that Jesus Christ, having fulfilled the Old Covenant, met all the requirements, all of the conditions, all of the stipulations, now can offer to those who would believe in him all of the benefits, perks, and wonders of the Old Covenant to New Covenant believers by having faith in him and by imparting his righteous fulfillment of the Old Covenant to them. Hence, we have the New Covenant. And the New Covenant is that all of those who would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ would be saved. That it is not an external works-based conditional covenant, but it is an internal spiritual faith-based covenant in which we get all the blessings that we could possibly even imagine and beyond through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we transition into this declaration of the obsoleteness, the, uh, the um, ending of, the closing of the Old Covenant and the birth, the um, introduction, the reality of the New Covenant. So let's look at chapter 8, verse 8. And we'll pull back a little bit, as we always do, into verses 6 through 7, because this provides the immediate context for us to consider while we're looking at uh, verses 8 through 13. So verse 8 says, For he finds fault with them when he says... Now, I thought that this was very interesting because as we've beat on this drum quite a number of times, I have continually said to you that the Old Covenant had no faults. And this is hard for people to wrap their minds around when the language of the Bible speaks in, in such a way that it seems to suggest that the Old Covenant did have faults. That the Old Covenant was problematic that the old covenant uh, wasn't perfect they can't we have a hard time wrapping our minds around it because we have a hard time placing the right things in the right categories again we have said the only fault that the old covenant had was that people couldn't keep it the old covenant in in really in a sense of saying without diminishing jesus christ and his perfection the Old Covenant really is too perfect for people. You understand that? The Old Covenant was too perfect for people. It is that it had no bend. It had no leeway. You kept it or you didn't. If you've sinned in one place, you've sinned in the whole law. If you've broken one of these, you've broken them all. It comes in one total package. It cannot be divided. And so I, I found that this is a very good place for us to see that reality. The reality that the Old Covenant is perfect, but it has imperfections. What? The Old Covenant is perfect at what it was intended for. The imperfection of the Old Covenant was that it was given to a faulty, imperfect people. This is the point. Now, look, now watch. This is what I'm going to show you. 
Verse 7 of chapter 8 says this. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. What is the implication here? If the first covenant would have been faultless, if there would have been no fault in the first covenant, then there wouldn't have been a need for a second covenant, a different one, a new one that wasn't like it because it would have been perfect. It wouldn't have had any faults, and so therefore we wouldn't need another one. And so the implication as we read that is, is that, well, we know we did need another one because there came about another one, and it was established by Christ as he came to the earth and he did what he did. And so we think, okay, well, then the old one must have had faults. It wasn't faultless. It had faults. But now verse 8, and this is why context is so crucial. We read verse 7, we divorce it from the context, we pull it right out, and we have uh, very problematic teachings. And we say, you see, the old covenant was riddled with faults. You see right there in verse 7, it says, if that first covenant had been faultless, well, then we wouldn't have had a need for a second. Well, we know we needed a second. So, yeah, the old covenant, eh, bad. No, uh-uh, don't even go read that thing. No context. If you read one more verse, we see it gives us insight. It gives us wisdom. And it teaches us what the fault of the old covenant was. Watch what he says. For he, okay, now let me put them together. For if that first, verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Verse 8, for he finds fault with them. You see it? For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. Where was the fault in the old covenant? The people. The problem, the fault was with them. Who is them? Those that received the old covenant. Those who God came and, and covenanted with and made this uh, this conditional covenant saying, if you will listen to me, if you will obey me, if you will keep my laws and my statutes, if you will obey, then I will be your God and you will be my people. You will be blessed and you will be uh, fruitful in everything. You'll move into this land, so on and so forth. So many promises with the, with the old covenant, so many promises with this. But there were conditions. It was that you would obey me, that you would keep my commands. And if you do, you see that conditional statement, if you keep my commands, then I will be your God and you will be my people and you will dwell in the land forever. Well, the problem was the people. And we see it here. Let's move on. So this is a good point for us to start, 7 and 8, that we see, number one, that the fault of the old covenant wasn't in the covenant itself. It was in the uh, the ones who was covenanted together. And we know that God's perfect, so he's not at fault. It was the people. Let's move on. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. Listen, to the, listen right here. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so... I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. So we see the fault of the people that were covenanted together with God. And it was this. They did not continue in my covenant. Bottom line was that God had made a covenant with them. And he says, you just continue on in this covenant. You do what I've told you to do. And it's all good. 
I will be your God. You will be my people. You won't have to worry about a thing. You will be taken care of. You will be blessed. You will dwell in the land forever, flowing with milk and honey. It will be amazing. But they would not continue in the covenant. They would not keep the covenant. They despised the covenant. They would not keep it. And so therefore it says, I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Wow. Wow. How would you like for uh, the Lord to say that about us? How would, it, how would it ring in our ears that the Lord would say, you have not done what I've called you to do. You have not obeyed me. You've got faults. You've got flaws. You have broken my commandments. Therefore, I have no concern for you. The struggles you have, the, 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 the attack that you face, the persecution that comes against you, the failings that you have, the woes that you have, the struggles that you have, I don't care. It's <laughs> one way to put it. But she's not far off. It's that God has said, and listen, in the New Covenant, in the, in the New Testament, we see in Romans chapter 1 that every person who departs into the lake of fire, into hell one day, they experience this reality. That is... That God gives them over to the desires of their heart. That he gave them over to their lusts. And he has said, you, you want this world? You want this? Then you've got it. You see, people have this idea that, you know, people who uh, have disdain for God. And, and some supposed Christians who hate the idea of hell. They hate the idea of hell because they have in their mind that it's these people, the people going to hell, it's these people who, man, they would just love to believe in God. They would, they want to do right. These are good people. You know, everybody's got a good heart. And they, and God's just like, no, I don't care if you want to come to me or not. I can't stand you. Go to hell. No, you see, everyone who will be torment and in the fires of hell forever and ever and ever and ever you need to understand one thing they got exactly what they wanted they got exactly what their heart desired we know from the scripture that god takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked we know that god is not slow as we understand slowness but he is patient longing that everyone would come to salvation that God stands pleading all day long with hands stretched out saying, come. But they have despised him. That all those who perish do so because after pleading and pleading and, 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 and the gospel going forth, that they have turned their nose up at God and they said, we don't want anything to do with you. And so God did not violate their will. He did not violate their choices. He did not violate their desires. He has said, okay, fine. You get exactly what you desire. And that is an existence apart from me. 
in any way, which is the very definition of hell. You see, we see here that the old covenant was imperfect and it was filled with fault, not because the old covenant in and of itself was filled with fault, but because the people covenanted together with God through the old covenant were perfectly imperfect. They were sinners. They were uh, God haters. There is none good, no, not one. There are none righteous, no, not even one. There are none who seek God. All have gone astray. All like sheep have gone astray. You see, there are none. And you and I are the same way, people. You and I are the same way. Every human being that's ever been born on the face of the earth has come forth in iniquity from his mother's womb, from her mother's womb. We have all been born in sin. We have been born with a, with a, with a craving and a, and a desire for our own fleshly appetites and desires. And we have all been born in this depraved uh, reality in which we do not desire the things of God. We desire the things that our flesh wants. And we are willing to do what we need to do to get it. And so... I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to ask yourself even now, what is it that your heart desires? What is it that you wait eagerly for? What is it that you are eager for? What is it that you are longing for? What is it that you think about? What is it that you dream about? What do you daydream about? What do you think on? What do you sing about? What are you longing to get to? Are you looking to, for me to hurry up so that you can get through with this word and get back out to the things in the world that you would like to do? What is it that's on your mind even right now as I speak the words of God? What is it that's in the back of your mind going, man, when are we going to hook back up? Is it the PlayStation? Is it the hunt? Is it the fishing? Is it the fill in the blank? Is it your job, your project, your hobby? Is it, what is it? What is it? What is it that even as the word of God is going forth, that you are thinking, man, when will this guy shut up? And you don't, you don't say it like that. You don't say it like that, but you'll start saying it like that. 12.05 rolls around. Or when that Bible is calling to you and it's laying on your desk. When that, when that prayer time, when that closet's calling to you. You say, but I got this to do, but I got that to do. What's calling to you? And there's a reason I'm, I'm bringing that out because... In chapter 9, we're going to see, we're going to see what the new covenant man, what the new covenant woman looks like. Because my question is, after reading chapter 8, how do I make sure that I'm not in that old covenant group? Because I promise you don't want to be in the old covenant group. You don't. So we see here, we establish where the fault came from. In verses 7 and 8, that it's not with the covenant itself. It's with the people that were in covenant with God. And then verses uh, 8 and 9 distinguish for us and show us and give us more insight to how, what that looks like. What the, what the faults of the people were that were covenanted with God. And it's that they did not continue in my covenant. Well, let's go back up and look at the beginning part of verse 8. And let's build on this. It says, for he finds fault with them when he says, I want, you to sh I want to show you this, is that 
not only did they not continue in his ways, but he gives a little bit of understanding to why that was such a big problem. Number one, he's God, and he made a covenant with them, and he gave them commands, right? But you see, that's what the world thinks about the Bible. That's what they say about the Bible. They'll say things, I, when I witness to people, when I evangelize, People tell me things like, oh, well, yeah, I know that I should do that, but you don't understand. I need to live some life and have some fun, and then later on down the road, then I'll turn my life over to God because, yes, I need a, an out route. I, I know that I'm in my sin right now. I, I got that. I know that. You see, in the South, you don't have to convince people that they're sinners before a holy God. Amen? You don't. I would even say that it's harder to minister in the South than it is in other places because everybody's saved already that ain't saved. You know, I mean, you know, I'll talk to the, the meth addict that is wrapped up in so much sin. I'm talking pervert, the, you know, sex doing crazy things to get his next fix. Been up for two weeks. He's seeing, I mean, all these hallucinations has no respect for God. No, you know, you see that guy on the street, you're trying to talk to him about maybe rehab, trying to talk to him about the Lord, trying to evangelize the gospel. Oh, I'm already, I'm already saved. Now, could he be? I'm not the judge of the heart. As a matter of fact, I bet he could be. Because, you see, the meth head smoking meth, his sin ain't no different than the one that you've hidden so well. And furthermore, David was a man after God's own heart who sent Bathsheba's husband, who was his commander in his army, who he was supposed to be caring for, onto the front lines and had him murdered, but was still a man of God and had to repent. So I'm not saying that they're not, but what I'm saying is, and this is the distinction between uh, assurance of salvation and the perseverance of the saints. I have people asking this all the time is that you can be saved. You see, I'm not the judge of anybody's heart. I can't look at anybody and say, they say, oh, I'm saved. And I say, no, you are not. <laughs> I don't know. They may very well be. So my answer to that all the time is, well, you might be, but I'll tell you this, is that I would not bet on that horse in this race. That's what I'm saying. Because judging by the fruit, bro, you should be terrified. You should be terrified. And that's about all we can say. Amen? We can't look at somebody and say, yes, you are or no, you aren't. I can't tell somebody you're definitely saved. I can't tell somebody you're definitely not saved. But I can look at them and I can plead with them out of a love for them. Not a, not a disdain, despicable, no, you ain't. You know, not that, no, bro, maybe you are, but. You need to make your salvation sure. Examine your heart because I'm afraid for you right now. And so we look at this and we, we see this, this movement, this, this idea of uh, interacting with God and loving God and pursuing God and having this fruit as the assurance of the salvation that we have. And the fault with the old covenant was that they had no desire for God. They were not fulfilling God's covenant. And we find ourselves in the same place. And watch what it does here. The, the world thinks 
And the reason I started saying that whole thing is the world thinks that the Bible is a book of restrictive laws placed on people to dominate them and to, uh, to, to press them down, to uh, take away their rights and to line them up as good little soldiers who obey. Jo uh, Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite theologians, has this quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it. The idea is, uh, the the idea is this 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 idea that combats the position that Christianity is is a system that requires you to abandon all of your desires all of your excitement, all of your pleasures, and replace it with utility. Another way of saying that is, this is what the world believes. That if you become a Christian, a faithful, Bible-believing Christian, then you do so in a self-asceticism, a self-denial that you'll never have any fun again, you will never have any, uh, any of your desires met again, that it will, be, it will basically be misery until you get the reward of heaven. Okay, And they can't even imagine that possibly being reward because have you read what heaven's going to be like? And that's reward, sitting at the feet of Jesus who's on the throne, throwing off your crown, and singing praises to him day and night, night and day, day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That sound like heaven to anybody? Y'all yeah, maybe. To them? Uh-uh. <laughs> I can't even stand to sing in church, right? This is the idea that they have. But Jonathan Edwards has this quote. He says, I'm paraphrasing. He says, the case has been made for the utility of Christianity. That by this utility we might win men. He says, but alas, tis pleasure that the enemy fights with. Let us beat him at his own game. For all pleasure is fulfilled and found in the Lord. Yeah. You know, I could go on and on about that point because I've kind of did a good bit of work on there because as I minister, I find myself ministering to a lot of drug addicts and people who uh, are in that realm, I guess, because of my past. And uh, I have never found uh, it beneficial uh, in the least to talk to a drug addict or a porn addict or a sex addict or someone in this realm to convince them or to have any type of influence over them in a positive sense by telling them that, uh, you know, come to Jesus because it will help you to be better organized and you will be uh, better prepared to be a fruitful member of society. <laughs> They're like, well, what fun is that? <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm no, 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 no. I'm telling the drug addict and the sex addict, I'm telling them this. Do you know that first hit you got that drove you to this place? And everyone will be like, yeah, I remember that. That's what I've been trying to get back to. And I'm like, well, you know, you know how that works, right? 
No, no, what do you mean? Well, you see, the enemy, he's not a creator, and so he's only a thief. And so since he can't create desires, he has to steal uh, from God uh, a piece of desires. He has to steal a reality from God and manipulate it, present it, and then use that desire to draw you off into a negative place. Hence, all pleasure, all desire, all longing is actually good. I didn't say everything you long for is good, but I said pleasure is a wonderful thing created by God. It couldn't have been created by Satan. He's not a creator. This pleasure and this satisfaction desires are wonderful. They are created by God, hijacked by Satan, and presented to lure you off into the wrong direction. No, this is the reality that if we pursue after God, he would give us the, the desires of our heart. That, that God, who created desire longs to give you the desires of your heart. So Satan stole a piece of desire and lured you away with it. So here's the reality to the meth addict, to the drunk, to the pill head, to the sex addict, who, to the work addict who gets a, a dopamine rush, an adrenaline rush when he commits that sin. When they commit that sin, that's what they long for, that rush, that that desire, woo! you know, that's what they're looking for. And I am telling them, you know, that first one you got that, that took you past the, the, the third heaven? And every one of them, they all know what I'm talking about. I remember that. I was like, yeah, what if I told you that that desire, that pleasure was only a dismal peace? Of the pleasure, the heights that God longs to take you to. You see, now it's a, hold up, say what? You know when you, when you hit that bow and you're like, what if I told you that that is nothing, that's nothing compared to when you meet God. Ain't no high like the most high. This idea is foreign to most everybody I talk to. They, even a lot of us. This is a real reason that we can't get past where we are in our Christian walk. Is that we treat our Christian walk as if it is an obligatory system that I've got to nail down. It is a God who you interact with, who longs to take you on journeys, who whispers to you in the dark, who, 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 who longs to fulfill your greatest and deepest desires that are found in him. Well, this is why the breaking of the old covenant was so bad because it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the old co not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. On the day I took them by the hand, here it is, the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. You see what is you see what now why this is such a big deal. It's not just that. They didn't obey the rules that I gave. 
No, he's saying that you were in this ditch. You were in this utter pit of despair. And I, as a father, came and grabbed you by the hand. And we walked together out of despair, out of slavery, out of destruction, out of pain. Hand in hand, we walked side by side. And I was loving you and caring for you. And I said, you can be a part of my family. But now my family acts in a certain way. So let's make sure that we're on the side same page and this right here this right here you can enjoy this forever my child you can do this come on let's go walked them out of Egypt only for them to pull their hand away and say I don't want you you see how this this no this is devastating verse 10 for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Now, see the distinction. In the first part in 8 and 9, he says, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. I can't understand why so many people want to say, Same covenant, different administration. This text is as clear as you could possibly get. The covenant that I'm going to make is not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. It's different. It's different. It is different. What's the difference? Well, we see here, he took these by the hand, but they pulled away and, and despised him, moved the other direction, did not want to be a part, and he let them go their way. That they couldn't keep up. They couldn't hold on. They couldn't because of their sinful nature. They couldn't. And you need to be careful to not place on God this idea that, well, <clears throat> he, he poured out wrath on them because they couldn't do what they wanted to do. Language matters. He poured out wrath on them because they did what they wanted to do, which was not follow him. It is not God's fault. And I'm not trying to bail God out. All I'm doing is exegeting the text. All I'm doing is telling you what it says. Is that God took them by the hand. He led them out. And they would not continue. It did not say that God would not have let them continue. They are the ones that wanted to pull away. They are the ones that did not want anything to do with him. And he allowed them to do what they wanted to do. Hence the distinction in the new covenant. In so many different ways watch what he says not like the covenant that i made with their fathers on the day when i took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of egypt for they did not continue in my covenant and so i showed no concern for them declares the lord i let them go their way for this is the covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days declares the lord i will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God. Now, I don't, <clears throat> this could get deep. I'm not going to, I'm going to try my best not let it get that deep. Here's the, here's the bottom line. In the old covenant, God said, look, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, if you keep my commands, if you follow me, if you obey my statutes. We're going to be golden. They couldn't do that because they didn't want to do that. It wasn't that their couldn't was broke. Their wouldn't was broke. They couldn't because they wouldn't. They will not. They did not seek him. 
They did not desire him. They didn't want anything to do with him. So he gave them over to the lusts of their flesh. He said, okay, fine. In the new covenant, we move into this realm where God says, you couldn't do it because you wouldn't do it. And so I'm going to do it, but not by forcing you to do it, but by changing your willingness to be a part of what I'm doing. You see, God demonstrates in love, his love for us. And while we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be uh, born again with a new spirit, with a new mind, with a new heart. He has not forced anybody against their will to be uh, blasphemers of God, haters of God into a hell. No, nor has he forced anybody to be God lovers, saved, saints. When we hear the language of he has predestined them before the foundations of the world that they might be chosen in him. When we hear this language, he says, well, you mean that God saves people against their will? Absolutely not. He does not. He never has, never will. So how does he ensure the salvation of those? Jesus says, all that the Father has given to me, they will come to me. What? Does that mean if they don't want to come to you, you're going to force them? No, here's what it means. And here's what this text is laying out for us. And this is the distinction between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant that we need to start to wrap our minds around. You see, the Old Covenant people loved the desires of the flesh more than they loved God. And God allowed them to just go right on loving that sin, loving that flesh, and he gave them over to that thing. And I'll tell you today, if you are in love with your flesh and you despise God because you love your flesh and you're choosing your flesh over that, then you don't need to consider yourself a born-again Christian. You need to repent and be saved today. There is no assurance for you. Only hell awaits as far as you're concerned. But if you're the, the, the desires of your heart is to follow God, yet you find yourself falling into sin and you hate sin, you despise sin, and you long for God, then there is hope for you. And what is left is to repent. Repent of your sin and turn back to the God who has never turned away from you and to be renewed unto God into your salvation, to have the joy of your salvation renewed and to have him set you free from everything that hinders you and causes you to stumble that you might run the race with endurance looking to jesus christ who is the author and the founder of your foundation you see he's the pioneer he blazes the trail before you and he's saying come on but the crazy thing is is that in the old covenant he's saying come on and you say i don't want to go i don't want to go and he says fine have your way i'm gone in the new covenant he says oh no you don't he scoops you up in his arms and he carries you because you can't walk the walk you can't walk that walk. And the old covenant reality was to glorify Christ in the new covenant reality of who he was. The old covenant was perfectly perfect at demonstrating the imperfections of an imperfect people. While the new covenant is a perfect God demonstrating the perfect salvation that comes from a perfect Savior who made the perfect sacrifice for a perfect eternal gift that starts right now for an imperfect people. Amen. Say that ten times fast. Watch what he says. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see that there are no conditions in that right there. Do you see it? There, there's no condition. There's, 
The conditions are the conditions are all met by God. There's no conditions for you. There's no conditions for me. You say, well, the condition is to believe. No, 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 no. Woo, let's hold, put the brakes on, young soldier. Everybody wants to think that the condition of salvation is belief. That the condition of salvation is belief. Who here would say that the condition of salvation that you must meet in order to be saved is belief? Only one brave enough to say, that's what I believe. Here we go. Here we go. The condition of salvation in order for you to be saved, the condition to be met is not your belief. Everybody here should say, hold up, wait a minute. The initial condition that must be met for your salvation is the condition that Jesus Christ had you in mind, died for you upon the cross that you might be saved, predestined before the foundations of the world to be one of God's elect. Now, I'm not looking to chase no rabbit down no trail of, are you telling me that the non-elect can cannot be saved? Well, yes, I am. Are you telling me that God has chosen and forces some people to go to hell? No, I'm not. I'm ready, willing, and able to say how that works. I don't know. But this is what I do know. Those who are saved were elected. Those who were not are not. And the reason I point this out in the initial phase and situation and reality through which salvation in the new covenant is born, it must necessarily not be conditional upon any type of work of your believing. Why? Because you are not smart enough, talented enough, aware enough, you are not meek enough, mild enough, innocent enough to ever have sought to choose God. If it is up to your choice, you will never be saved. Now, let's, let's clarify. We got to clarify here. Because is it true that you must believe in order to be saved? Yes. You say you're losing me, preacher. Let me give you a verse to help clarify. And I'm, I'm like, how many of you have a halfway loss? Y'all ain't even coming back next week. <laughs> Brother, come on, give me a chance. Here it is. How about this? And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God has first loved us. Now that was a verse, if you didn't realize. You see? Here's where most people just, they quit on that. Because they say, oh, Brandon, done, he done messed up now. He done took away my free will. Well, listen, as I've said many times before, everybody's so against being a slave of God. They're like, it's my choice. I have free will. God's not controlling me. Look, you go ahead on and do that. Go ahead on. I want to be a slave of God. You know why? Because this old boy right here knows how busted my chooser is. I already know. You see, I spent the first half of my life 
figuring out and deciding what I wanted for me. And so if you ask me, do you want freedom that is free, 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 libertarian freedom? Do you want? No, 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 no. No, no. I don't want to be left for Brennan to choose. No, no, I don't want nothing to do with it. Because Brennan can make no choices of God without God first choosing to operate in me and guiding, leading, and changing my desires in the heart level that I might then choose God. Are you following with me? So, yes. You must choose God, but you can't choose God because you won't choose God apart from God choosing you. Amen? Amen. And so we ask and plead, God, please open up the minds that we might see. Please open up our hearts that we might understand that there is no release from sin until we submit ourselves to the spirit of the living God. That he would change our inmost desires, our inmost wants, our inmost choices, thoughts, and everything else about us on the inside. If God doesn't work, you won't work. If God doesn't keep, you won't keep. And if you aren't kept in God, then you're not kept at all. Amen? Here it is. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I want you to watch. Watch how absent the people are. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Inside the covenant, the people are out here. They have no... They, they have no task they have no obligate they have no part in the interworkings they are only heirs of it they are only experiencers of it they are only the they are only the recipients of the wonderful blessed glorious reality of being called God's people for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God. The condition that is uh, necessary for, they, for them to be considered God's children is for God. To, to, to put his spirit in them, to uh, put his laws into their minds, to rearrange their minds. Does this not start to bring all types of scripture? Remember Romans when it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Remember that? You see, this is how God works. He says, I am working inside of you. I am changing you from the inside. You see, this is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant is external. It is external. You see, if you're a part of the old covenant, then you are, you are outside of God. And God is outside of you. And he's saying, listen, you, you must do these things in order to be one with me. You must, you must accomplish these tasks. You've got things you've got to do. You've got to obey. You've got to walk. You've got to meet all of these requirements. And if you do these things, then you will be my people and I will be your God. But the new covenant goes from external 
to internal. It says you can't do and meet the external criteria and requirements in order to be counted as one of God's people. And so in order to remedy that, in the new covenant, it's going to be different. In the new covenant, all of these laws, all of these commands, and and all of this desire that God has for you to glorify him and to live righteously and to live as a saint and to live as as his people. He says, no longer will I make these external conditions to be met by you, but I myself, through my spirit, through the work of my son, I will meet all of these external criteria. You see, that's why you've got to have Jesus. Jesus met all of the external requirements and conditions in order for the old covenant realities to be fulfilled and for those promises to be secured. And then Jesus Christ dies the death we should have died because we didn't meet these external criteria. He resurrects from the grave, conquering sin, death, hell, and Satan, ascends into heaven where he then sends the Holy Spirit to take this whole conquering reality and to, and to put it right on up inside of you. So that now, Jesus, who met the external criteria to bring about the blessed promises of being one with God, has went into heaven, been secured, come back down, and came inside of me. That I now have the the righteousness that Christ had, the perfect obedience, the perfect meeting of all of the old covenant requirements, I have that now as if it were my very own. And God moves from the external to the internal. And he writes it on my mind. And he writes it on my heart. And he draws me into his family. And he doesn't just carry by the hand anymore. But he scoops us up. And he carries us every step of the way. Lest we stumble. Lest we fall. Lest we find in the end that we were never God's children. Not even at all. We actually do. Okay. I'm about done. Hey. Check that out. Watch this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see that? In the old covenant, I'm going to say it one more time. In the old covenant, it was dependent on the people choosing to follow God, but their chooser was busted, so they didn't, so God gave them up to what they wanted. And God would have been justified to do that for the rest of eternity and to look at every human being that's ever lived and said, okay, fine. You see, this is why I don't fight that battle. This is why it doesn't matter to me if I don't have any choice. Now, I do believe that people have choices, and we could talk about that all day long. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to fight that battle because you can believe that you must be the sole chooser of your salvation, lest it not be a salvation. But I'm just going to agree to disagree because, as I've said, I just know, I just know what I choose 
when I'm left to myself to decide and to choose. I don't want that reality to be mine. If you want it, you go right on ahead. I don't want to live there. What I want is for God to infiltrate my old wayward, wicked soul and my fleshly soul, and I want Him to rearrange my internal being to give me new birth and make me a new creation so that my eyes are open and my ears are open. And now, once I was blind, but now I see... And the reason I didn't choose is because I didn't see. Because if I would have saw, I would have ran full-fledged into his direction because he has opened up my eyes. He has opened up your eyes. And if you don't desire God, then I would really just ask myself, has God ever opened up my eyes? Because once you see him, you can't unsee him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is love. Not that we have loved God, no, but that God has first loved us. And he brings us into that place. If you are sitting, you might ask this question. It'd be a good question. You might ask, well, I'm sitting in here today. How do I know if God's calling to me? Well, one, you hear the gospel message coming out of my mouth. For the God, this is First uh, Timothy uh, 2, 11. For the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching them to live self-right, uh, teaching them to live upright and uh, selfless God-fearing lives, teaching them to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. At the end of the day, if you've heard the gospel, you've heard God's call, the only difference might be, yeah, I got that verse mixed up a little bit, the only difference might be is whether or not you have loved God or if you have chosen God. And I would just say, if you have no desire for God, that you just fall down on your face and plead with God for, for God is not hiding from you, that God is there. If you knock, the door will be opened. That's the bottom line. And people ask me, they'll say, well, why do you preach to everybody? Why don't you just preach to the elect? How do you know who the elect is? I have no idea. You know who the elect are? Any of you that would get saved, you know who can get saved? Whosoever would come. Any one of y'all right now can be saved. You say, well, I thought you said the elect. Well, that's the only way I know who the elect are. To <laughs> preach to everybody, whoever gets saved is elect. And there might be a few more elect. You just ain't been elected and been saved yet. I don't know. At the end of the day, we just preach. Really, all of that stuff right there is just me trying to help you to understand the way I understand the way it all lays out. At the end of the day is do you hear God calling if you do, bow down. If you hear God calling, bow down. You send it to me? Thanks, babe. It's Titus. I know I was all over the place. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared. That's a different translation. But for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Thank you so much. I butchered it just a second ago. She bailed me out. All right, let's finish this up with this right here because this is the love oozing out. This is, this is the beautiful, and we're gonna, uh, I'll show you how this closes out in the obsolete nature of the Old Covenant. And they shall not teach each other, uh, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know, all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And then verse 13 kind of finishes all that up. Here's the bottom line is that when the Lord Jesus Christ, when God 
introduces the new covenant and he enacts the new covenant, remember, on a wayward, self-seeking, God-hating people. That's the way everybody is. That's just the reality of it, that no one seeks God. There's, no, there's not one righteous, not even one. But God, in his mercy and in his love and in his forgiveness, he has come that sinners, while they were yet sinners, might be saved, that, that, that God would do the work that we couldn't do. Remember, our choosers busted. So God has chosen those whom he would redeem. And how does he do that? He does that by changing the desires of their hearts. So he doesn't force anybody against their will to be saved. All he does is open up their eyes. And when their eyes are open and they can see the truth, they never, they never choose anything but God. Why? Because they always choose what they want. And when their eyes are open, they always choose that which they desire the most. And when their eyes are open to see God, well, God quite naturally and necessarily is the most desirable being that's ever even existed forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So when your eyes are open and you see God, you always choose God. Why? It's because you desire him. Your desires have been rearranged and they've been changed. That God has shown you. You say, that's against someone's will. No, it's not. I can absolutely uh, give, with, if I had more knowledge than you, I could absolutely give you the opportunity to make whatever choices you want. But by what I chose to reveal to you, you would choose what you desired. And that decision would be your very own. I don't have to force you to do anything. God doesn't have to force you to do anything. But that he opens your mind up. He opens you up to be able to see him, to love him because he has first loved you. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Remember, this comes right out of a talking about the priest, him a teaching on the priesthood. And he's saying here that you no longer need a high priest. That system is, is obsolete. That system is growing old. It's fading away. That's not how it's done anymore. You don't need anyone to be a mediator between you and God. It, you don't need anyone in order to come and do business with God, to love God, to walk with God, and to be God's people. You see, in the Old Covenant, there was necessarily steps and stages and procedure and you had to do it a certain way and you couldn't do it by yourself you, you need to understand that the average the, the the israelite they could not have a relationship with god outside of the priesthood they could not have a relationship with god outside of moses who was the one that gave them the law that they had to obey if they didn't have moses they didn't have god if they didn't have aaron they didn't have god you see it? They didn't have it. Now he says the new covenant's not like that. Why? Because Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the greater Aaron. Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater everybody. And Jesus has died for your sin, went into the grave, resurrected, went into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to make Jesus, who is the greater Moses, greater Aaron, greater David, and greater everything else, live inside of you that now jesus christ god himself dwells inside of you therefore you need no man you need no man and i say you need no man for a relationship to be born between you and god that doesn't mean that we should discredit all uh all meetings all brotherhood all that's not what that's about what it's about is is that there is now no mediator between god and man save the man christ jesus that's what it's about 
So we encourage one another. We love one another. We lead one another. We, we do all. We rebuke one another. We do all of these things. But Jake Worley does not need Brandon Pori to be saved. No. He needs Jesus Christ. And that's it. You can come before God without any human being on the face of this earth. It's you and God. You can understand the scriptures. It just said that he will write his word on. He write their laws into their minds. Write them on their hearts. That his word can come through you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he's the great interpreter of the text. He dwells inside of you. And he flows out of you. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I'll remember their sins no more. Y'all come on up. I'm finished up. It says here. Verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant. He makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Lots of confusion on this verse here. I'm not saying I have the lock on how it's interpreted. But I will say this. With the last, what, uh, five verses that I read, it seems just a plain reading of the text with some context, some immediate and historical context. It seems so plain to me. That the old covenant had its own purposes, but it had faults. Not because of the covenant itself, but because of the people. And what's the reality? Is that all people are sinners, they are wayward, and they desire to meet the desires of their own flesh. And if left to make their own choices and to go and follow their own desires, if they are left to do that, then they will always choose self and they will never choose God. Therefore, the fault with the old covenant was the people's desire for the flesh. But God made a new covenant that was distinct and different from the old covenant. And the difference is this. While the old covenant was an external conditional covenant, that required the faulty people, the faulty sinners, to fulfill these requirements, to be joined to a faultless God, that they couldn't do it. It was an external requirement that a faulty people could not meet. So therefore, the only faultless person who's ever existed was God come in the flesh. And he fulfilled the old covenant in every single jot and tittle to be the only one who could rightly say that they deserved the promises of the old covenant to dwell in the land forever, continual ongoing relationship with God. There's only one. And the irony is, is that upon fulfilling that old covenant perfectly and being the only one who ever actually deserved life forevermore, blessings unending, he was killed. The only one that ever deserved to live forever in the land flowing with milk and honey. And the moment he fulfilled it all, he was brutally murdered. And you say, God, that's wrong. He did fulfill the covenant, but he didn't get what you said. But you see, our iniquities was cast upon him. Our shame 
was cast on him. Our sinfulness, our unrighteousness, our waywardness, the, the desires of our flesh that we follow at every whim was laid on him and he was counted among the sinners and among the wayward and, the, and among the unrighteous. While it was Jesus Christ who knew no sin, who became sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus Christ did everything perfectly and deserved life forevermore, but he got death. We have broken every law, every covenant, every every way we turn, we break the heart of God and we deserve nothing but left but but death, but we get life forevermore. Why? It's because Jesus Christ traded places with us. And now he has come to fulfill this external covenant and bring it to an internal reality in the new covenant. And he places his laws on our heart. He changes and transforms our heart. And he writes this on us, is that I am your God and you are my people. And Jesus Christ himself, all that the Father has given to me, they will come to me and I will not lose not even one of them. Not even one. You see, it's not up to you to come in and it's not up to you to go out. Jesus Christ bought you and paid for you. You're his and he never loses what's his. So I'll let anybody who wants to say, no, this whole salvation depends. It, it rises and falls, falls on me. Have fun with that. I'm going to trust in the Lord that I, I would have never. But while we were yet sinners, who here, who here would agree with me that but for the grace of God, I would have never been saved? Oh, God is so good. Isn't God good? You see, in this, it says that, that the old covenant, it, that it's obsolete. It, it's out there. You see, it doesn't mean that we can't learn from the old covenant. Remember, it's perfect. It was the fault of the people. Though It's not saying that the old covenant can't be read and, and really... Uh, adored and, and, it, and it's wonderful and it's beautiful and appreciated for all that it was but as a means by which we grow close to God it is useless you cannot be sanctified justified in the the stipulations that you meet you see the moment you start saying God loves me more because I did this 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 and this you make yourself out to be God no no, we work for God, and we strive for God, and we long for God, and we obey God. Why? Because He has loved us, not so that He will love us. The love of God is not dependent on your actions or your obedience. No, even when we are wayward and sinful, we don't say God loves me less because I'm wayward and sinful. No, we say that we are outside of God's will for our lives. And so now we feel the weight and we feel despair because we are breaking the heart of a God who has loved us and died for us. He loves you. He loves you just as much. Let's all stand to our feet. I'll tell you this today, sinner, that in Christ you are no longer identified as sinner, but as saint. Why? Because the love of God has 
come and done a work in you that could not be done by you. God loves you. God is pursuing after you. God is calling to you. And if you hear God's voice today, do not harden your hearts as they have done in the past. But come and bow before a Savior who, if you are desiring God even in this moment, you can be encouraged that He is already in pursuit of you. Because sinners who are not called of God don't desire God. But if you today are desiring God, I would say, God Almighty is calling to you. Come. Come and be born again. Come and experience life forevermore. Come, all you sinners. Come, all you who are wayward. Come, all of you who feel like there is no hope. Come, all of you who feels like God could not in any world or life have anything to do with you. If you feel him calling you, tugging you, drawing you, speaking to your heart today, then you run. You run to the cross because today is the day of salvation. You don't want to put that off. There is, no, there is no reality in which your life could be any more fulfilled than the day you bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and every desire of your heart will be unlocked and you will know what it is to have joy. Joy forevermore as the Spirit of the living God comes to dwell in you and walk with you and by that Holy Spirit you will hear from God you will see God. The truths in the Bible will be unlocked and you will be transformed by the Holy Spirit conforming you to the image of Christ. Come and do business with God. Please, people. Amen. Amen. Hear the